Hey there, Dragon Babies. Before we get started this week, we have a quick plea for you to let us know what you think. You can do this one of a few ways. You can leave us a review on iTunes and then the public and the world at large will know your thoughts. Or for those who are not so inclined, you can get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Send us a DM on Twitter at dragonbabiespod or on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. We're happy to open up our repertoire and cover some other YA fantasy books that we might not be remembering, might not be thinking of, might be your favorite books, um, but we need to hear from you to be able to do that. So get in touch, let us know, and happy reading. sound is so good sound is pretty good today we're pretty excited about it we we're a homebrew studio so uh (laughs) okay i'm grace and i'm madeline and we're dragon babies um this is a hot nighttime recording sesh and it is sweltering in madeline's bedroom which is where we record because it's like a little cave filled with blankets scarves and tapestries you think i'm kidding but not at all I get so cold in the winter and then the summer happens and it's just a little heat cave. And she loves it. So this week we are discussing The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. Another Terry Pratchett. Yes, this is our second author repeat and we're following up the legendary Tamara Pierce with the ultra legendary Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And I need to point out that this book was sitting on my table for a while. I know we've had a longer break in between episodes and I apologize for that. But Madeline just graduated from law school. My boyfriend's graduating from medical school this week. There's a lot of garbage <laughs> going on. Good garbage. Gra- garbage. Graduation a lot garbage. Of garbage going on. These professionals. <laughs> this book was sitting on my table. And one day my boyfriend walked by and just went, the wee free men. And I was like, you know, you did that without knowing anything about what this is about. But you kind of hit on this <laughs> perfect accent for describing them. Okay, so this book is by Terry Pratchett. It is the first of his specific young adult books. Um, He called it a Discworld story or Mm -hmm. a Discworld adventure um, rather than uh, just one of his actual Discworld books. Um, And it is kind of a perfect trip from Discworld as we know it from some of our other favorite characters like Death and Mort, which we covered in that episode. Um, to a new character named Tiffany Aching, who is a young girl who lives on the chalk, which is a series of low rolling hills, and she is a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Madeline, would you like to read the description? I would. Let's find out how the marketing did for this. How the marketing did for this book. Uh, get that page turning in there. This is the reason people come to our podcast. Um, quickly, the cover. We are going to be posting the photo, and this is the first time, sadly, that we have a copy of the book that is not the edition that we read as kids. Um, that's uh, in part because our mom is a Terry Pratchett freak. She owns every one of his books. and I I, mean, We mean that in a flattering good way, <laughs> like seriously. It's really yeah. impressive how much Terry Pratchett she has. We're down with book freaks. Um, yeah. And she lent us her copy because I've lost mine to the ages. Um, and the art style is super different on this one. 
I if I saw this at a bookstore, it would not make me want to read it, sadly. Um, I know that Terry Pratchett's books have a wide variety of artists and art styles uh, and I, I for their covers. Bad dinging the artist, whoever they are, but yeah, I don't I just don't care for this cover art. It's very um CG looking. Uh, I just don't think it goes with the theme at all. Like I it's the Knock McFeagles on a sheep kind of bouncing around and looking goofy. I think it's catering to a younger demographic yeah, I than think the so too. book is actually mm-hmm. aimed at. This was a more recent edition, but it's actually from 2006 and the book came out in 2003. Oh, um, okay. Just for uh, Anchorage, I was 16 and Metal was 13 when this book came out, but I was such a huge Terry Pratchett fan that I got it immediately. Um, so I'm still, I mean, I'm fine to call 16 still being like a young adult reading. For sure. For sure. So I, I was still a young adult when I was 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say we all have young adult moments. Um, so Madeline, would you like to take us away? Yes. I'll read the little blurbs first so the new york times says like celtic mythology fused with buffy the vampire slayer which is great i love that that's great (laughs) and publishers weekly in a starred review says what's not to love about a girl who takes on vicious monsters armed with only a frying pan and on the front of the book it says exuberant and irresistible from the washington post there's trouble on the aching farm, monsters in the river, headless horsemen in the lane, and Tiffany Aching's little brother has been stolen by the Queen of Fairies. Getting him back will require all of Tiffany's strength and determination, as well as a sturdy skillet, and the help of the rowdy clan of fightin', stealin', tiny blue-skinned Pictsies known as the We Free Men. Oh, is that everything? That's all. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's a very short blurb, yeah. It's a really good blurb for yeah. what I realized upon this reading, um, and I, I hadn't when I was young, is that this is just like a straight-up swashbuckling adventure yes. story. And it's not what you would expect. I think I want to get to more of this later, but I think one way that Terry Pratchett made it feel more like a young adult novel rather than one of his other books is that he cut out a lot of the digressions that he yes. tends to go on. Yes. And he severely limited the number of characters in the book. When you And this book feels like it has a million damn characters in it, but when you compare it to a Discworld novel, it's like a quarter the number of people you're usually introduced to. Where they're usually to. constantly cutting away to other mm-hmm. people and he's going on this like paragraph of a footnote followed by pages of digression which i love totally totally all of us who are pratchett fans feel the same way Mm -hmm. i mean we love going really deep into these worlds and learning about like all the characters neuroses and tics and the history that led them to say the phrase that they did because it had to do with this specific kind of porridge like it's just it's out of control but it's really fun you can tell that he wrote this and worked with his editor to produce this with the young adult audience more in mind. But I mean, it's still just um, any Terry Pratchett fan would enjoy it just as much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and they do. I mean, I remember our mom, because uh, she devoured this book as soon as it came out, um, which is how, yeah, we ended yeah. up with a copy right away. I mean, um, when, uh, yeah, when I was 16, I didn't have like a lot of purchasing power. <laughs> like, I wasn't going yeah. out. <laughs> getting every book I wanted um and this was you know just like a grounding this was pre like internet being a huge thing I mean we had aim 
that was how we wasted time on computers. But what's up? N2M, you? BRB. N2M, G2G. Oh, no. Someone has to make a phone call. I have to get off the dial up. We're dating ourselves. But yeah. we, I read a lot more back then. It's something I miss. I still, I have moments now, even when I realize that I'm going too deep into nonsensical internet holes. Not like a good educational Wikipedia hole or something like that. But when I'm just like, oh my God. Celebrities um. <laughs> that died during the filming of their last television series. Like oh my God, that's a, a horrible way. It was, it was an AV Club article oh, okay. that I posted today, and it was actually like it was a wiki wormhole. I was, think, I was thinking more like, um, like real housewives who have pets who are frogs. <laughs> that's, I made that up. That like, if only that were a thing. <laughs> I'm writing that listicle, so check Dragon Babies. I I don't know anything about the Real Housewives. I just turn to them as like my personal source of not understanding pop culture because I love pop culture and a lot of it I spend a lot of time learning about because I want to be well versed in these things just because our world is so insane and because our world is a Terry Pratchett book at times and I'm really intrigued by what it is that the mass consciousness seizes Mm -hmm. on. Um, But I I've never watched the Real Housewives, so that's a that's a huge hole for me. Um, no, although some yeah. of my very good friends love Real Housewives and I'm always curious about it. It's on Hulu. I just learned that. So maybe I'll check it out. Grace is like not endorsing it, but she also seems no, I'm to not, be endorsing I'm not endorsing Real Housewives. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll give a really brief, uh, we'll just quickly spoil the book as we always do. Tiffany Aching is a nine-year-old girl who is living on a sheep farm and taking care of her little brother. Her grandmother, Granny Aching, has passed away in the last few years. Recently, um, yeah. Yeah, recently. And she was the the matriarch and patriarch. I mean, she was in charge of the farm and not just their farm, but the entire area. She was the sheep boss. Yeah. Um, and Tiffany, very respected and revered and feared. Yeah. And Tiffany is trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's ahead for her. She's a very smart girl. She reads the dictionary. Um, she's always going to get lessons when the traveling educators come to town. They have a little fair and she she's, brings them cucumbers or eggs. Yeah, she's very good at making cheese. Get some knowledge. She's a cheese maker. Um, she yeah, runs the dairy on their farm. And one day, a monster comes out of the river while her little brother is playing next to it and tries to snatch him. And Tiffany finds herself defeating the monster and realizes that there's something maybe a little bit different about her. Tiffany ultimately learns that she's probably a witch. She meets a witch named Mystic or Mystic, play on words, baby. Um, And then she learns that Granny Aching was a witch. Mm -hmm. Um, Then a group of tiny men uh, called the Nakmukfeagles. They're a clan of Pictsies, uh, P-I-C-T-S-I-E-S, um, who live in the chalk. They emerge from the hills and they declare that they're going to help Tiffany. They were loyal to Granny Aching and they're afraid of witches and magic. So they're going to help her get... And lawyers. And lawyers. Don't forget that. It's important. Um, then they embark on a quest to save Wentworth, Tiffany's little brother. They find him in a creepy dream world ruled by this horrible queen. They go through these really epic 
battle scenes and ultimately Tiffany gets Wentworth back defeats the queen saves the baron's son as saves well saves the baron's son who went missing yeah. a year ago um and also becomes <laughs> through the process the leader of the Nakamakfigal clan um a task which she ultimately hands over to yeah. an appropriate short a more appropriate ruler because uh, there, there's a few reasons why she she can't do it long term and she finds herself and she enters into the essentially the adult period of her life where she's going to learn to be a witch mm-hmm. along the way there are a few familiar faces who show up from the other Discworld books uh, mainly other witches uh, Granny Weatherwax Mrs. Og and Mystic all make you know some brief some longer appearances um and it's really just a thrilling fun loving uh fulfilling tale it's it's really like it starts off very quickly even before the adventure starts it's already started kind of like i there's not like a long protracted before it starts (laughs) exactly um it's just it's just so fun the neck mcfeagles are so likable i like for these nasty tiny little men that like are always cursing and stealing like they're so lovable yeah so we'll paint a more of a picture for them of them for if you haven't read it um they're basically uh they speak in a like scottish gaelic dialect yeah. um and there are it becomes clear throughout the book that there are different tribes different knock tribes and there is um someone in there uh, living with their clan who is from another one who speaks with a little bit more of a proper accent who is a little bit easier to understand um but like a third of the book is just their phonetically written out um speech which is great i uh, can't tell what's happening sometimes and they say words like crivens um which i love crivens crivens are like we'll be off ski uh and I've never, I had never heard it aloud, honestly, until today when I was driving back from my mom's and I needed to finish the book before we recorded. So my boyfriend's mom read the last, uh, like, oh, 50 man. pages of the book That's aloud fantastic. to me. That's <laughs> amazing. And she got really into the voices. Oh and- my gosh, I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> and she did the accents. Shout out to Renee. It was amazing. Um, and I really appreciated how performative this book is. It's just, it is silly in the same way that all Pratchett books are, um, but it's toned down a little bit to where I almost appreciate the silliness more because sometimes I can get a silliness overload. Um, <laughs> can you, do you just get, I was looking at me like, a, really a little Grace, too much silliness, um, huh? Really? <laughs> uh, but I love Tiffany so much. She's such a dynamic and interesting little girl. Uh, there's and there's so much about her that I identify with. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure that you she's, do too. She's incredibly identifiable. Yeah, it's she's really like true. she's basically a very pragmatic would-be academic who is living on a sheep farm and her main task is to take care of her little brother mm-hmm. and then she also makes cheese which she loves she, mm-hmm. she says you know too. at the end of the book when the witches are asking her okay you can't just be a witch you need a profitable trade because witching doesn't make you any money and it'll often just get you killed or thrown not killed, into a river thrown into a river and you have to get very good at untying knots yeah. so that you can do your uh, bonds and escape um 
and she you know chooses to make cheese she no, says yeah I'm going I mean, to be a cheese maker Terry Pratchett was brilliant and yeah. it's just one of those things that's like it's so impressive that this man living in Europe was so like able to create I mean he could create a relatable orangutan you know it didn't he it went way beyond humanity but it was just it's really cool how he could create such a relatable preteen girl yeah this book feels especially um, I mean it really resounds with women I would think I mean yeah. it does for me and me too um and it really does especially with Wentworth because I remember being little and being like oh stupid little brother yeah, just I knew you were gonna say nasty <laughs> like what is it I love Patrick he's one of my best friends but when Patrick if you're listening <laughs> we're talking about you right now but when he was a baby I was not into him he was a really angry baby too. well and it's one of the it's one of the great dynamics of the book that (laughs) tiffany hates wentworth and even when people are saying like oh you love your brother you you obviously want to save him she's like okay i don't know about love yeah but like i feel a responsibility toward him mine (laughs) Uh, she's actually mostly fueled by anger over selfishness Mm -hmm. is how she identifies it um because People keep telling her witches are selfish. The queen says witches are mm-hmm. selfish. Um, and she uses that rising tide of fury to fuel most of her actions and to motivate her through some of the more disturbing moments mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah. Um, and Wentworth is a sweets obsessed, whiny, sticky, sticky, um, just potty minded little boy and all he ever wants to do. He's like a little baby. He's barely a boy. He he wants to either, you know, poop or eat treats sometimes. Like babies do. (laughs) And when he has too many treats around him, he gets overwhelmed and freaks out because there's too many treats. Which is not a problem that's relatable to me because I've never had a problem climbing that mountain. Madeline's never had a treat she couldn't eat. No. Um, A a sweetie that you didn't like. Uh, So, yeah, the I mean, Tiffany's ultimate goal is to save Wentworth, who is this, you know, toddler that she pretty much despises. But she forces herself through um, pretty upsetting mental trials in order to get him back. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we're kind of doing badass lady meter off the bat because we're talking about Tiffany yeah. so much. But she's very young throughout the she's book. Nine. She's nine our youngest protagonist that we've had except for Alana, Alana at the beginning yeah, of but she um, ages throughout the first book yeah at the beginning of the first book um and Tiffany has had you know not a hard life exactly but a working life a working life on a farm she's just largely ignored she is ignored she's a yeah her job is to care for her brother and she keeps going back to resent that her to resenting her parents for having another child and then not being able to care for him. And she's also like incredibly intelligent and she's not receiving the kind of stimulus that she needs at all. That's why it's really good that she's becoming other than a carrot's worth of terrible geography with all the words misspelled. With a J. (laughs) Terry Pratchett uses old English and I use old old English um, to great effect in all of his books. Uh, But whenever you see a bit of writing from within the world that he's depicting, it's always super funny and the teachers and the way that they spell the lessons is uh, really entertaining. So going into some of the 
uh, action sequences of the book. I Something I kept going back to that I never thought as a kid um, was just that this book is really trippy. <laughs> like, obviously, oh, yeah. I, I didn't understand what well, trippy meant as a kid. When you're a kid, you, you understand it innately, but you don't really have words for it. Right, yeah, you're just like, like some weird stuff That's happening weird. i think children are more accepting of weirdness yes. but yeah. like also more critical of it i don't know it's complicated i feel like there there are kids and maybe this has just been in my time as like a child i almost said a child taker but i mean a caretaker <laughs> grace used to take children yeah you know the guy from chitty chitty bang bang <laughs> That's that's actually what I look like. So. Grace. Grace is a nightmare from the dream world. It's good for everyone to know about that right now. Um, yeah, I've just had so many moments when I've, you know, sometimes you like joke around with kids and you like try to create flights of fancy and they're like, ha yay. And then sometimes they're like, you're weird. What are you doing? <laughs> well, Maybe that's just I think a that's personal just experience. How you sort the uh, good children from the terrible oh ones. God. <laughs> terrible ones they probably just get freaked out because adults are supposed to be you know sources of stability and not so total i'm sorry i'm not trying to be anti-child that's that's not my intent i just i just had some bad experiences with children when i was a child so i have that holdover of not liking my peers All right. when i was that age yeah no i it's get not, it but, yeah. uh, but also part two i also of hate our, high schoolers our debates about like forces of life that must exist in order for it to move forward part one was oceans friend or foe and now part two is children are they terrible <laughs> Many children are very wonderful. I'm sure that all children have good things about them, but if you put the right weirdo with a bull cut and glasses in front of them, it will bring up truly their Madeline's worst Madeline's referring side. to herself. <laughs> and braces. I, yeah, I only had braces for a little bit, though. Oh, I know. I was just thinking of a really cute picture of you where you're like bowl and cut, bowl cutting super hard. Yeah, and you're I, I had these Harry Potter braces. glasses that were like perfect circles. They looked. They look better on Daniel Radcliffe. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Hot or not, Madeline versus <laughs> Madeline is a child. Twelve-year-old Madeline. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But well, that's one reason why I love having Wentworth in the story because he is just a terrible child. He's yeah, he's a he's baby. Not, yeah, but usually babies get some sympathy in literature. No, see, this is why I found this so relatable. Is because when that's how I felt towards Patrick right. but I just remember feeling this you know I didn't hate him and it, like I cared about him because he was my brother like he was my family and like it's the same feeling yeah. I mean if Patrick had been kidnapped we would have and the parents didn't notice somehow we would have sprung into action mm -hmm. to save him and we would yeah, have gone through exactly. nightmares and uh, snow and grim grim hounds Grimhounds, I Grim think. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very normal dynamic, I think, of mm -hmm. children to their very young siblings of just like, oh, what is this weird because they don't have any sort of maternal or paternal yeah. or like parental instinct. Mm -hmm. They're just like, ugh. At the did you notice that at the very end of the book when Tiffany's teaching Wentworth how to help with the chores, yeah. she says she felt very parental. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Really so that. that was like her growing up. There are a lot of, I think, young adult fantasy books especially, and children's books, that talk about dream worlds and 
going into a dream and being trapped in a dream and what does the dream mean and like what's dreaming versus waking and some of them are tedious this one is really interesting um and i think it's it's not necessarily a fresh take but i think it's more accurate than most it makes you feel like you are in a moment of sleep i think it does a really good job of switching between the conscious and subconscious Mm -hmm. yeah because it's like very sudden and kind of disorienting but also at the same time natural in a way where the character doesn't really notice it I I think it's it's very well done yeah because all the major conflict in the book takes place in in a dream world um there is a larger dream world which is fairyland uh which is not the lovely rosy-cheeked uh, fairy tinted fairyland that we fairy tinted fairyland great phrase really going to be winning some awards think, for I that think one grace has stopped speaking english <laughs> I don't, i'm the not fairies. comprehending the fairies. <laughs> um it's not the one that we expect from all the stories we've read and the beautiful things in the fairyland right are it's not rotten. a nice place yeah um, and there's um what are the the gray globs called drums they are creepy very creepy they look like really creepy. mushy muddy snowmen basically with like scary little tiny eyes little <laughs> black eyes like a shark i don't know if that's accurate <laughs> so i, I think madeline's that. created shark eyes based out of her own <laughs> real world fears and nightmares They're the most terrifying kind of eyes um but known. tiffany has to enter the overall dream world and then go into smaller dreams that are within oh, yeah. it uh, uh-huh. to try to find wentworth and the evil queen is the one who's created this world she can't really affect any change on her own so she just builds these little dream worlds and then tries to entice children to come into them so that she has cute little babies to play with because she's able that's her that's as far as her powers go is manipulating dreams so it's like a big power but it's also not an expansive one and some of those dreams are uh i mean they're all weird (laughs) to be sure um but some are kind of fun i mean it's always hilarious especially in terry pratchett's books um to see when jokes are being played on the protagonist in different ways and the moment when tiffany is in a dream that is about a ball um that's in this banquet hall and there's all this really beautiful food laid out and there are ice sculptures and creatures and animal masks dancing and tiffany thinks to herself oh it's good that the drone didn't realize that they should have just put cheese everywhere. Yeah. And then suddenly there's cheese, cheese is everywhere. everywhere. But it says the cheese was always there. Yeah. <laughs> so like it appeared. It just, it was, is, like and dream. will be cheese. Like yeah. In a dream. Um, and Tiffany almost eats the cheese. Yeah. She's so excited to see different kinds of cheeses that she's because seen in she her, um, like cheese yeah. encyclopedias, her fromageries. Um, is that in the book or did no, she just spin I'm just that? going off on a cheese whimsy. So in this book, the only real goofy pretend foods the ones that um the ones that feel like they're from a fantasy story as opposed to something very straightforward like cheese and butter and milk and sweets well there are tiffany does list the chemicals that she imagines in the sweets that Wentworth loves in his gummy bears yeah which yeah is how did you funny. feel about that because you love candy so much and i was wondering if you were like yeah those flavors or if you like well honestly i've been a lot more into sweet baked goods these days so i did i mean yeah those 
and that's mostly why is because candy has a lot of it's just like chemicals and sugar it's it's not uh it's not that appetizing to me anymore but um i'd probably still eat candy if it were here i just don't buy it anymore (laughs) in the dream world there are these confections that she comes across that are trying to get her tempt tiffany to eat them and those have i think tiffany says like unnecessary bits to them like pieces that uh are whipped and glazed and dolloped um I don't think they ever say chocolate. They do. They say, oh, they they say chocolate like shavings chocolate and thousands of little balls. Or and, something. Chocolate balls? Um, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's no... Ah! Sprinkles. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany calls them thousands of little balls. Chocolate sprinkles. <laughs> anyway, my point I'm trying to make is that the fantasy food is, I think, kind of supposed to come off as unappetizing. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that you're trying to... It's the same as in Pan's Labyrinth when you're screaming at the person. You're like, don't eat that. Everyone everywhere has told you not to eat the food. And they're like, oh, but this looks so good. That doesn't count. It's fine. The monster will stay sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's a little bit different. But I'm also a huge fan of cheese, and cheese I loved great. when Tiffany would bring it up and like just the care that she showed for it. And when she sends her parents a letter from within Dreamworld, I think at always that point. telling them what to do with the cheese. Yeah, just like hope the cheese is okay. Yeah, <laughs> hope you've turned the cheese. Yeah. Give it a quarter turn tomorrow, which is great. Um, which I really appreciated, and I want to make cheese. I hope that I get to do that someday. I don't know if I ever will, but I'm okay with buying my cheese. It seems complicated. <laughs> it's definitely complicated. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say not about a cheese, I'm not a fromager. From <laughs> Madame de Fromage. There we go. <laughs> um, the I really appreciate at the end of the book when Tiffany to- tells the witches that she wants to be a cheesemaker. Yeah. And Granny Weatherwax says, cheese is good, cheese is alive. Yeah. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel about cheese, too. I really appreciate it. Cheese is great. I was a vegetarian for many years. And cheese was important. I never really thought about becoming a vegan very seriously. And part of that is just because I knew that I could never stop eating cheese. For me, it was ice cream. Yeah, well, I did stop eating ice cream for a while. Because of your dairy probs. Fortunately, this is just how my brain works. It forces my body, even when it's misbehaving, and I'm like, I had serious stomach problems for a long time. Throughout all that, I could eat hard cheeses. They didn't bother oh, me, which great. always makes me think of the Thirty Rock joke when yeah. Liz gets her root canals and she says, "Doctor, hard cheeses and your root canals." When canal, can I Liz? eat hard cheeses again? And he hands her a pamphlet. <laughs> I'm really tired of having this conversation, so I had this pamphlet made up. <laughs> and to end this digression, I will say that for anyone else who has lactose problems, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that Ben and Jerry's has an amazing. Um, dairy-free dairy-free ice it's the best dairy-free ice cream I've ever eaten it's so good so it's almond milk based which makes it I think taste a lot more like the real thing yeah. and less like oh I'm just eating coconut milk that's pretending to be ice cream which I think is what coconut based ice creams <laughs> taste like but um, yeah so unpaid product endorsement Ben and Jerry's hit us up if uh, we can do this every time yeah please <laughs> We'll get real creative, I promise. Ice Um, cream, it will make you live forever. 
You like reading fairy tales, but what if your life was a fairy tale? Just eat some ice cream. It's a great. That's just off the top of my head. Don Draper S. I can get even better. Yeah, seriously, the the Don Draper within me. Um, Yeah, so that's how I feel about cheese. (laughs) Conclusion. One of the things, I mean, besides his just really obvious love for certain things Mm -hmm. like cheese or cats like Terry Pratchett and in this book dogs yeah that's true that's true dogs even more than cats this cat gets uh this cat does not get a lot of love to live on the roof yeah. by the end of the but book that's just such a good throwaway line at the end because the knock McFeagles have terrorized their cat rag uh rat bone or what's his name rag bones I think rat bag <laughs> Just a rough name to give a cat. Don't name your cat Ratbag, people. He's gonna be a crappy I'm sorry cat. Sorry if we're wrong, but he's a farm cat, and you know yeah. he's not like those cats have a lot of work to do, and they don't I have mean, a lot like, of time to be cuddly and cute. But then I think Fiegel's terrorize him, and at the end of the book, when Tiffany comes home, there's just a line about like how Ratbag now lives, lives on, on the, the roof. roof. Yeah. Um, but just one of the things that's distinctly Terry Pratchett esque is he does things with his writing that other people would not. I feel like they're the kind of things that an editor would flag and be like, you can't do this, don't do this. And I wonder what it's like to be, oh, like what it was like lot. to be Terry Pratchett's editors, yeah. like where he he names one of his characters who comes up often, uh, not as big as medium-sized jock, but bigger than we jock jock. <laughs> and it's all hyphenated. It also has like two pages of Him the pixie correcting yeah. Tiffany when she's trying to just say his name back to him. And he says it every single time. All of their names are basically a variation on the Abbott and Costello who's on first joke. I mean, there's Rob Anybody. There's Daft Wooly. Um, oh. There's, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of uh, Will- Willem... Um, yeah, I wanted to write them down. He's a so he just goal, right? Yeah, he's a gonagol. He's yeah. the musician, the musician in quotes. Uh-huh. Um, but they're they're delightfully ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I really love their names, and I just imagine like his editor going through this and being like, "Oh my god, how many times?" Oh, damn. well, that was another reason it was super funny hearing it aloud because there were moments when I would be like, "Oh my god, this joke is still going," yeah. because yeah. it feels so much longer when it's spoken, spoken out loud. Yeah, yeah and I fun. also. Um, at the end of the book, okay, so I just graduated from law school. Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. I wanted, wait, <laughs> let me frame it as a question. You just graduated from law school. How do you feel about the portrayal of law and lawyers in this book? Because it's so, so funny. And for the first three quarters, even more of the book, there is not an inkling that lawyers are going to play a prominent role other than the Nakam It's Siegel just a saying, one-off joke. They, yeah, that, like, they just say that they're of afraid of lawyers because they, they can't write or read yeah. um, and they're scared of... And they think there's great power in writing down their names Well, Because they're scared of being um, brought Arranged to... Arranged yeah, their crimes. Scared <laughs> of being brought to trial yeah. or going to prison for all the crimes because yeah. we they lie they steal and they drink to excess and they fight and Mm -hmm. those are like their reasons to live yeah so they're very afraid of the law and lawyers and i did like right away and there's a tolkien joke 
about their swords glowing blue when yes, lawyers are swords glow blue yeah, when lawyers are close. I laughed out loud. Oh, I heard Bilbo say it. <laughs> totally. Um, so the very first time, the frog that is at first seems like he's going to be the like magical, helpful animal in the book, and then he basically spends most of the book sleeping. <laughs> not even a character and she like tiffany keeps trying to get him to help and he basically just keeps telling her like whatever i'm tired and cold (laughs) because he's in the dream world um but he frogs can't or toads he's a toad toads can't dream so even when they're in a hot dream or things like that he's just like oh it's so hibernating um (laughs) and yeah you think the toad's gonna be really important because miss tick gives gives tiffany the toad um i feel like he's supposed to watch over something but that's totally helpful and the toad just sleeps in tiffany's pocket with diseases of the sheep yeah the book Uh that she has from granny yeah it's definitely more helpful than the toad um But anyway, so, and then the toad, by the end, um, the queen sends lawyers after the We Free Men, and they start really freaking out. Full-on British bewigged Yeah, yeah, like barristers. Barristers. um, And they start, like, reading lists of their grievances and what they'll be brought in on, and then Nuck McFeagles are freaking out, and then suddenly the toad is like, I remember, I was a lawyer in a past life, and he starts... um, he says, what is the toad saying? Is any of it accurate? Because it's all in Latin. No, he says about he says habeas corpus, right? And yeah. then at a different. But then point, the rest is more obscure. He said, "Well, the rest is just sentences in Latin that right. have no basis okay. in the law at all." Okay. Like I think that he says, "Objection! I move for writ of habeas corpus," said a small voice, "and enter a plea of visne facium capite repletum without prejudice." So the habeas corpus and without prejudice are legal terms, but then. The rest is just a sentence in Latin, which I don't remember Do enough of remember? my Latin to be able to translate it. But then he goes on to tell them, Vis ne facium capite repletum, said the toad. It was the best I could do in a hurry, but it means approximately, he gave a little cough, would you like a face which is full of head? <laughs> yeah, which is him so that's not, that's giving into the Nuck McFeagle's yeah. tendencies. Um, but I do also really, really enjoy what the lawyers start um, charging the knockback feels with, like when they're advancing on them, the bad lawyers. We have here a list of criminal and civil charges, including more than 2,000 cases of making an affray, causing a public nuisance, being found drunk, being found very drunk, using offensive language, taking into account 97 counts of using language that was probably offensive if anyone else could understand it, committing a breach of the peace, malicious lingering. <laughs> malicious, <laughs> malicious lingering. Um, That's really good. So it, it was funny. This is so not interesting at all to people not in the legal field but as soon as this uh toad started saying legal things where he was like oh i'm you're like yeah earlier in the book dangerous. there's a hint like that you'd have a suit for damages thinking about law based on this and then so madeline's education corner there's many many different types of lawyers and practicing attorneys are not all uh tort personal injury lawyers which is what the toad is speaking as in the like throughout the book until it gets to the very end and then suddenly he starts speaking as a both criminal and civil well but he's also trying to apply his knowledge to the situation oh totally but it is interesting that (laughs) just 
don't think this is very realistic, Grace, that they hire this guy. Okay, I'm trying to cut this segment <laughs> short. <laughs> I don't know if I want another Madeline's education corner. <laughs> Everyone cares about this stuff. Anyways, I just thought that was funny that he does appear to be a very... Um, He's a renaissance lawyer. He does it all. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's a toad. You got to take the jobs he can get. And he stays with the Nekma Right, exactly. He becomes like their their lawyer. lawyer, Which is an amazing end for that character. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The uh, English system, well, it's pretty similar to the American system, actually. It's adversarial. But like America's legal system is based on English. I'm done. Madeline wanders off mumbling about the English adversary. Wait, I want to give like a order in the court. <laughs> Madeline's education corner <laughs> is sentenced to death. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you for telling us what I was just booted from the courthouse. My wig has flown off. So let's talk a little bit about magic in this book we've already discussed magic in in discworld but we talked about it from a wizardy wizardly point of view mm-hmm. um, when we were discussing mort in our mort in our mort episode um and also death's magic which is just you know a beyond human affairs yeah um so this book deals primarily with witches and we learn in the end that it isn't really wit- magic that witches use um, to accomplish the things that they do. For example, Tiffany's basically sleight of hand trick that she uses to impress Roland to show him that she is a witch is that she realizes that there's a McFeagle listening and she says, bucket of water, fill yourself. And the Feagles are so fast that, that they, right they grab away. the bucket yeah. and fill it with water. And Roland's like, oh, no, you are a witch. Which is like, it's just a sort of very intelligent, perceptive common sense. Well, and Tiffany's powers are first sight and second thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's referred to throughout the book. And she starts tripping over herself and it gets very meta when she's thinking, oh, no, I'm having third thoughts. Yeah. And she's like, what if I am just thoughts thinking about the thoughts and gets, I don't actually yeah. exist? And that's part of when the queen is gets very trying cerebral. to confuse her <laughs> and she kind of trips over herself. Um, but again and again, she uses the powers of rational thinking and pragmatism to save all of them. Mm-hmm. And to overcome the dream magic that the queen's trying to surround them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's getting very good at it, especially for a nine-year-old girl. But she is a very powerful witch. And I appreciate that that approach to magical power because I feel like they're... Especially are, in contrast to the wizards. Exactly. It's so where fun. it's all it's so blunder and idiocy yeah. and them trying to grab some kind of power for themselves mm-hmm. and setting up these really complex they're super, spells. Like, there, there is a derogatory comment about wizards in the book too. There's one moment when oh, yeah. the witches at the end are like, oh yeah, better than like, that's all wizards are good for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I really want you to read more of the witch books. Um, yeah, I, I will be. I've, I've like fallen in love with Terry Pratchett pretty recently, really. I hadn't read much of him before very recently and I'm before the podcast yeah and I hope that you know other people have been encouraged to get really into this just stupidly brilliant world yeah. like I can't believe how great it is 
Mrs. Og and Granny Weatherwax, um, who is addressed as Mistress Weatherwax at the mm-hmm. end of the book, are two of my favorite characters in all the books. And you can tell that they both offer very different approaches yeah, totally. to um, yeah. witchcraft and uh, just their personalities are really fun. Something else that really resonated with me. Um, so I'm going into public interest law and <laughs> going back to the legal stuff. Everyone was really into that. Um Tiffany talks about how at the end of the book, she's kind of struggling within herself, be like, okay, I have to like make other people's problems my, Mm -hmm. like she's combining her selfishness with like, okay, if I make their problems what I care about, then I can still be Mm self-serving and yet do good things, like speak up for the voiceless. Like her grandmother literally says that to her. Um, yeah, it's it's like a Spider-Man with great power comes yes, great responsibility yeah, moment. Exactly. Um, and that's that's kind of what public interest law is like about. So I actually thought that was a really cool connection too. For all the book looks down on lawyers, I oh think gosh, really I can't the, believe we're talking. The about. lesson is that lawyers can be pretty great. Can't believe we're talking about this again. I'm not actually a lawyer um, yet. I haven't passed the bar. No, she hasn't. But <laughs> I have a JD. Okay, I'm a um, doctor. Yes, there are so many good lessons and there are these really fleeting memories that Tiffany has of different injustices she's experienced um, throughout the book. The injustices are rough. They made me upset. They're really upsetting. Yeah. um, An old woman is basically like murdered through um, shunning uh, because they believe that she kidnapped the child who ended up lost in the queen's dream she lived by herself and was kind of weird and had yeah. a cat so they decided that she was a witch yeah <laughs> sounds like reality and they also murder her cat too yeah um mom always says that one of her cats is like super spooky she's black and she just has these giant eyes and her little face and she just follows you around all day and stares right into your eyes and meows at you and my mom used to say like Manny you're the kind of cat that used to get women murdered as witches (laughs) and it's true it's really true um then there's also a um peddler who's brutally beating his donkey because he's overloaded it i mean this is obviously less of injustice because uh granny aching actually She's able to correct that steps one. in yeah. like mm-hmm. boss and whips the peddler mm-hmm. which is yeah. a, an unbelievable thing to read about and i mean she just kind of enacts her good force over these different situations again and again throughout the book mm-hmm. um and a woman uh, this is another more upsetting one a woman who was an orphan who was left at, um, I can't even remember where she was left, but she, her, her name is Female Infant uh, because that's just what they wrote on her. Uh, and she's obviously disabled. Yeah. And she steals a baby um, and has like a house full of knitted clothes that she's, uh, you know, been making, like planning for her child. And they're going to send her to, you know, the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Granny sends in her dogs mm-hmm. to watch over yeah. the trial. And then the Baron says, actually, let's go about this another way. Mm-hmm. And everyone just takes care of her instead, mm-hmm. which is yeah. 
something that I think could be applied to our society and should be. Um, but there, there are these darker moments throughout the book. Um, and I remember reading it as a teenager and feeling that it, this, this felt so much closer to our world than a lot of Discworld novels did. It's, um, it's really funny that this book, I, I feel like it is a lot darker than the last Terry Pratchett book we mm-hmm. did, which is about death. It is called well, Mort. Death, death <laughs> is the funniest character right. in Discworld. It's and so much more, it's such mm-hmm. a spin. And Mort is the book in which death uh, like has a grand old time. There are other death books in the trilogy. It has kind of like a... That are much sadder. Okay. Like extremely sad. <laughs> then in the next one, he becomes um, a mortal. Not immortal, a mortal death yeah oh rough he gets a job on a farm and he tries to live his life and he realizes what it feels like to experience time passing that's pretty rough it's an excellent book um uh oh sorry uh, what are we doing lost, lost memory. Life. <laughs> terry pratchett this is what he does to us yeah um yes but this this book felt closer to to our existence and like just such Mm -hmm. a relatable protagonist some uh, there's these tiny details about tiffany also every time i say tiffany i just want i just think of adventure time and i want to do tiffany tiffany it's me um i was like a craze vermilion crab (laughs) okay we're done uh tiffany is so idiosyncratic in these little ways that are like pulled straight from my life like the fact that she has read a lot of the dictionary so she doesn't know how to pronounce any words yeah. but she knows an inordinate number but of that's words totally and she's like an early reader thing. oh totally like, yeah we no, all have that yeah i'm not saying that i'm special um because I'm not. Oh my goodness. I'm not being mean. Grace is just... so mean to me. <laughs> um, and yeah, all these moments when she's stepping in or trying to educate people mm-hmm. and then someone else is like, oh, you mean metaphorical, not metaphorical. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and uh, it's great to watch. T- it says- doesn't keep Tiffany from trying to continue educating those around her though she says pune at the beginning of the book instead of pun which it's i enjoyed too yeah. pune um and she impresses the feagles with her um you know grasp of language uh, that's one reason why they believe in her as a witch from the start when she feels like she has no idea what she's doing or what's going on yeah. um because they respect the power of the word so we didn't even talk about why she doesn't stay with the fecals, um, but there is some funny stuff. I guess we can talk about this with our sexual awakening factors segment. Something I really respect about this book is that it discusses sex without ever getting leery about it or yeah. creepy about mm-hmm. it, um, especially because the protagonist is a nine-year-old girl who knows the ways of the world. I mean, she's well, it's just birth talked about in a very matter-of-fact part of life type way yeah yeah she understands how animals breed and where (laughs) they come from um and there is this like huge awkward situation she gets into wherein she becomes the kelda of the knack mcfeagle clan 
because um, the old Keldo is dying, recognizes that she's Granny Aching's daughter, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, you need to watch over, yeah, sorry, um, watch over my dudes for a little bit, um, and yeah, that's how she becomes the Kelda. Yeah, so she dies like while she's talking to Tiffany. Yeah, um, and after Tiffany emerges from this long, important talk with the Kelda, where she, you know, learns a lot about herself and what she has to do. Um, she comes out and all the fegals have been cleaning themselves and grooming themselves and they've like been picking flowers braiding their hair and, yeah, braiding their red wiry hair um, and she realizes that it's because she has to pick one of them to marry because you can't be a Kelda without being married to someone because you have to that's the rule well and you have to give birth to the next generation of and all the fegals. we free men are like really nervous and uncomfortable they're so but, like, scared yeah. they're talking I think there's a line that's like if you have a cuddle with this one you have to make a mark where you left off so yes. you know where to keep going yes yeah and I was like oh my gosh that's such an amazing line yeah and like I said it's all it's all very funny and um you know uncomfortable without being gross Mm -hmm. which I think is a hard line to uh walk I think Uh, because showing that the people involved are uncomfortable is helpful yeah like the wafer men do not want to get busy with a nine-year-old human Human, yeah they're just like (laughs) um and in the end Tiffany has a brilliant idea and says that she'll marry rob anybody when the mountain at the edge of the world has worn down to a grain of sand and then everyone's like yay sounds great (laughs) no marriage (laughs) and I appreciated that I'm glad there's no love interest or wedding I love that she hates the other boy in the book who's around her age and he's useless like he's he's a baron's son in like the worst way very Entitled, he keeps talking about the peasants, even though he's useless. Like yeah. he can't accomplish anything. And even um, though he's talking to someone who's technically a peasant, and he's insulting by saying that. And meanwhile, Tiffany does is everything, strolling around with her frying pan yeah. in her hand and using that frying pan to just smish and smash and bish and bash and everything in front of her. I mean, the not line. everything evil. Smish, smish, smash. <laughs> it's not column. <laughs> smish. <laughs> <laughs> Smash! <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, fr- on the subject of frying pans, very quickly before we finish, I've that one's done. Um, <laughs> there is another story that I want to recommend. Um, that touches on some of the same themes and mainly features a frying pan as the primary weapon. Um, It's a story by Patricia C. Reedy. I can't remember how to pronounce her last name, even though we did Dealing with Dragons, which is one of our books. Reedy. It's Reedy. Reedy. Yeah. Um, She has a story. (sighs) I don't know what it's called. Um, I'm not going to look it up. Let's let's be real here. It's almost nine o'clock. I've had a few beers today. It's a really hot day. It's really hot. Um, She has a story that's about Simmerine, who's from Dealing with Dragons, um, and her husband, Mendebar, about their son, Daystar, um, which takes place way in the future after uh, Dealing with Dragons is said. And they find... um, 
they find an enchanted frying pan in their armory and they have no idea what to do with it and they're kind of worried about it. Um, So they decide to hold a contest to see who can successfully use it and they actually have to make it into a cooking contest um, because there's no way to like introduce the frying pan without um, trying to yeah like involve it in in food preparation yeah yeah um so like all these princes come from all around and there's different like different pieces of the contest like there is sword fighting and things like that but then there's the cooking portion Uh. because they just want to see who can pick up the frying pan without it burning them and in the end i think all the frying pan does is (laughs) i just spoiled the whole story Uh, maybe i'll cut out the end but um (laughs) i recommend this story i can't remember the name of that's by Patricia C. Reedy. It's in a uh, selection of her short stories. Thinking about the Discworld witches, I just kind of, I appreciate how diverse they are um, and how their personalities really play into the way they see magic and their responsibility as witches. And I was just thinking about fictional witches at large. And I was curious about who your favorite which representations are are your top top which I can go first if you want to think about it do you want me to go first I mean Sophie's a witch technically from yeah. Moving Castle that's yeah. who popped into my mind right away I love Sophie so much she is amazing yeah, yeah. no I love Sophie um I'm actually going in a negative direction, like a bad witch, not a nice witch. But I love uh, Roald Dahl's book, The Witches, a lot. And those witches really frighten me. Those witches are really terrible. (laughs) They're really scary. um, But they're also really interesting. For sure. And I love the weird little physical tells um, and the way that they most of the time look like beautiful women, but they have like you know masks that they're basically creating um and uh the like horrible creepy things that they like to do and turning children into mice um Mm -hmm. they just always kind of stayed with me and I feel like there's never been a good movie adaptation of that book um because no one can ever really capture what the the witches are like yeah I don't think so so that's everything for We Free Men. Thanks so much for yeah, thanks for joining listening. us and listening. Um, if you have another Terry Bradgett book that you'd love for us to do and you want to shout out a recommendation, yeah, please share. Because I'd love to do another Terry Pratchett book. Um, we'll space it out a little bit. I mean, we're not going to just make this doing a it. Pratchett podcast. Is there a Pratchett podcast? I'm going to check. We'll see. Pratchett cast. <laughs> that could just be us. We're just going to change it. <laughs> And if so, I'm going to have to do a lot more research. I did no research for this episode at all, as you can tell. Well, it's, you know, this is in its inception. There's plenty to talk about. Um, So, yeah, shoot us a line. You can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. That's the first syllable of podcast. And on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. Yes. And that's it. Thanks so much. Stay safe out there. We didn't rate Tiffany. Um, I'm rating her the uh, the aged perfection of a famous cheese. I'll name her 
The Turpentine of Witches. Oh, the Turpentine. Yes, that's so good. I love Turpentine in this book and the way it's just a cure-all for (laughs) everything that could possibly ill you or your sheep. Don't drink Turpentine, guys. Don't drink in Turpentine. (laughs) Don't drink in Turpentine. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. I already said until next time. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Don't wear dragon babies. If you'd like to learn more about Dragon Babies, you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. That's the P-O-D, the first syllable of podcast. Songs used in this episode are Pippin the Hunchback and Thatched Villagers, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find his music at incompetech.com. Thanks for listening.